I'm Jeff. I'm 43 years old in St. Paul, Minnesota. Before this all happened, life as usual, I was serving plates of food. I was mixing drinks and I was bussing tables for a loyal, regular clientele. Two and a half weeks ago, I left on Tuesday. Everything was normal. Every professional sport in the world shut down the next day. I got back to work Friday and, you know, it was all about uh, don't touch the customers, washing hands, you know, the basics. By the next Monday, two days later, the whole industry was basically shutting down. I was laid off from my job, I don't know, 36, 48 hours after my last shift. And, uh, you know, within days, every restaurant I could think of was closed down. I don't know, what's it been a week and a half has gone by and I've stayed busy, but uh, now we're not going to reopen. We went from our two-week hiatus to a statewide hiatus until May 1st. So that's pretty wild. I don't know how many restaurant and service industry workers are out of jobs, but millions. I'm coping with it fine. I'm staying busy. Cleaning up my lawn, cleaning my gutters, spending a lot of time with my wife and son. Uh, all the bills are paid. There's uncertainty. We don't know how long this is going to last. That was the income that, you know, supports three of us here. So right now, everything, you know, everything is good and we're staying calm and we're not worried. But, you know, I suppose if a few more months of this go by, I'll be beyond worried. That was Jeff, who, like millions of others across the country, lost his restaurant job because of COVID-19. Thanks for sharing, Jeff. COVID-19 has hit the restaurant industry particularly hard. It's not alone, of course. Retail, fitness, the entertainment industry, all shuttered because of this virus. But for me, there's just something about walking around my neighborhood, which has lots of great places to eat, and seeing all the restaurants with their lights out. It just gets to me. And it's not just that I can't get that amazing banh mi sandwich down the street, it's that I don't have a place to hang out anymore. Restaurants are where we connect with our friends. They get us active in our community. And if you're like me, they help us avoid doing the dishes. So when our restaurants close, it represents yet another direct assault on our collective ability to be well. And then of course, let's not forget, the restaurant industry also provides jobs for millions of people. Our friends, our neighbors, our family. And according to the National Restaurant Association, by the end of May, an estimated five to seven million people in the restaurant industry will lose their jobs because of this pandemic. This is Beyond Normal. Welcome to Beyond Normal, a podcast that explores what it takes to cultivate and maintain our well-being in this time of national and global crisis. My name is Nate Matson, and my team and I at The Big No bring you conversations with thought leaders across different facets of health and well-being so we can all better understand and teach others what it takes to be well in today's world. And let's face it, right now, that can be really challenging. Today, we're going to focus on food. I can't think of anything more central to our health and well-being than food. Not only do we need it to survive, but cooking together and sharing meals together is part of the human experience. Right now, the whole system, from where and how we get our food to how we experience it together, has been flipped upside down. It's scary and it's sad, but it's also forcing many people, including today's guest, to look at what was working and what wasn't, to help reshape the conversation around food so we can emerge from this with a stronger, more equitable, and more sustainable food system going forward. I am so excited for this. Joining me right now is chef, teacher, restaurateur, television host, and all-around renaissance man, Andrew Zimmern. Thanks for chatting, Andrew. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So how are you doing today? One of my favorite thought leaders and lucky enough over the years that he's, he's become a friend is uh, the, the legendary Simon Sinek. And he posted the idea that rather than 
saying, oh, I'm good, I'm bad, or, or getting out over our skis one way or the other. Simply look at your day as being I'm ahead or behind, right? Mm -hmm. Which has been incredibly valuable to me in an effort to try to stay positive. Staying positive is that buck up, everything's going to be okay. And on one hand, I see the necessity of it. On the other hand, it's, it's brutally traumatic to a lot of people who find it impossible to stay positive. The value proposition of being ahead or behind is easy to understand and navigate, easier uh, during it, an ambiguous time, an uncertain time to be either ahead or behind. You know, I got up today, I walked the dog, uh, I came into my office to do this podcast, I have food for tonight in my refrigerator. I'm doing something positive in my life, and I hope it's of value to others in doing this chat with you. So I'm ahead. It's a very cool way to look at it. I hope that idea of being behind or ahead sticks with us beyond this crazy time. I know you've been very active and vocal about changes to the food world. In your own state of Minnesota, the governor asked you to speak when the statewide restaurant shutdowns went into effect. I mean, I know that the changes are big, but can you break these changes down a little bit and give us an idea of how disruptive this time is for the restaurant industry? By the time most people are hearing this, it's going to be changed even more. But the snapshot right now, you know, on a Friday afternoon sitting in my office, restaurants all across uh, the country are shuttered. Restaurants in most states are considered essential businesses. So if they want to do to go and delivery work, or if they want to be community resource kitchens, they can do that. The restaurant industry, to me, has always been a first responder. I just remember Katrina and 9-11. And, you know, because sure, restaurants have always shown up at the Heart Association Gala and the Save Our Kids Gala and the, you know, whatever the events has been. Those two big disasters, I had friends, you know, who literally showed up with portable cooking equipment and food and just started cooking. No one asked them to. They were risking everything and they just showed up to cook because that's what they, we know how to do. Mm -hmm. I remember during Katrina looking at pictures of friends of mine, many on the news, on the nightly news, standing in their duck waders, their hunting waders, right? With propane tanks up on tables. It's just what food people do. And now all these folks who want to be the last ones out the door, and no one wants to turn their lights out. So many voluntarily shut their doors. Some did by mandate, but all who are able to have flipped their lights back on, even if it's just being able to keep a couple families employed and just sell a hundred portions of something a day in their neighborhoods so that they have some kind of economic model that is sustaining their communities and the people around them. If you notice, while people are trying to sell little bottles of Purell for a hundred bucks, restaurants are selling sandwiches for five bucks a pop, right? right. I mean, it is just, it's incredible to me how beautiful the, this food industry is. We're in survival mode. A bunch of us who are, I, I guess, suited to this work or have experience in this work have founded a, a group, 501c4, called saverestaurants.co, not com, okay. .co. We're mobilizing on the federal level and on the state level to make sure that public policymakers are aware that other than the, the defense department, 
the largest employer in America is the independent restaurant community. We are a trillion dollar industry. And, and by the way, a trillion dollar industry that pays 20% roughly in taxes for every dollar that comes into restaurants, a dollar 99 goes back into our communities. We're part of a food supply chain. We're part of an ancient cultural chain that is vastly important to the social fabric, the global social fabric. We have to remember that there are so many businesses reliant on this trillion dollar industry that it becomes a multi-trillion dollar industry. And we also have to remember food and restaurants affects immigration issues. It affects uh, the healthcare industry. I mean, you name the industry and we impact it significantly. You know, one by one by one, this giant crisis and pandemic has highlighted problems within these systems. We have a situation here where you can see through food and what's happening in restaurants, if you extend this out and as you start to apply it to a bigger picture, that everything has changed. Are things going to go back to normal? Well, yeah, but it depends how depends how you define that, number one, because I think some things like the food business have changed irrevocably, and we can mm-hmm. talk about that in specific. But I also think that there's a silver lining here in that mm-hmm. we have systems that have needed to be addressed for a long time, both in the restaurant business and outside the restaurant business, that you can only rebuild when it's burnt down to the ground. And right, right now we have it burnt down to the ground. So let's seize this opportunity right. and make it right. Every single person we've talked to has said that the world has changed somehow, that it will never be the same, but that is also not necessarily a bad thing. So in the restaurant world, what are the positive things that can come from this? We have othered women, people of color, uh, the poor who need jobs, immigrants, some restaurants and food service establishments and food production facilities have been skirting laws and uh, underpaying and undervaluing workers and making them unsafe environments. We need to figure out how are we going to adapt? How are we going to pay people a living wage? How are we going to create an equitable system within restaurants? How are we going to charge what the food really should cost? If we do that, it's going to be a shakeup to the supply chain, but eventually it will even out it will mean that restaurants will change forever. That's a good segue into something I know you're passionate about, which is food insecurity. How is COVID-19 affecting our underserved populations? I mean, we're talking a lot about the restaurant industry, but we know that everyone is being affected by this. What is being done and what can be done to ensure that everyone has access to a nutritious meal and the food they need to just be healthy? Well, I'd like to remind everyone that there are two food Americas, haves and have-nots, 20 to 25% are food insecure. Um, That was pre-COVID-19. We have this underserved and vulnerable groups of populations. Now they're more underserved and more vulnerable. It's no longer shameful in America that people don't have food. It's criminal. This is the richest, most advanced civilization in the history of the universe, even with this COVID-19. We can't have hungry people. There needs to be leadership at the federal level to make it the law of the land that that's the case. I mean, you know, I'll just pick one tiny little segment of the population, and that's, you know, kids in schools. Yes. We've seen that there's as many as 50% of kids in schools rely on those meals as some of the only meals of their day. 
So why isn't the law of the land that we have a national school lunch program where nutritious food is being cooked in schools? If we know statistically, factually, kids perform better when they're fed better and they're healthier. And that's just one little sliver of our food crisis in, in America. The underserved and the vulnerable are more underserved and more vulnerable. It's why I applaud the people who are on the front lines right now doing charitable work to serve those populations. Uh, the people who are you know, taking food donations and turning them into meals. Mm -hmm. um, I think that is the most noble and heroic work that we can be doing is feeding another human being. I would yeah. also want people to support national organizations that are in touch with all those agencies, places like Share Our Strength, No Kid Hungry, et cetera. You can donate food to your local food shelf. You can uh, volunteer in a place where people are cooking. So what can we all do to help make that happen? So few people are actually aware of the depth of the problem. And so I always tell people whenever I'm speaking on this issue, if you've heard something, a soundbite, a piece of this conversation, something that moves you to do something, just take that sentence, put it in an email, and send it to every single human being on your email list. I'll tell you what really woke me to this. My child, when he was younger and in grade school, went to a public school. You know, he would have friends over, you know, on weekends or weekdays or whatever, and invariably there's, you know, Dad, can Tommy and... Joey stay over for dinner? Sure, let's get out the phone, let's call their parents, go through the typical process that any parent is used to. I would sit there at dinner, and because I oftentimes wouldn't see them running into the house where we would have bowls of fruit and you know bowls of nuts yeah. and healthy snacks healthy were stuff, always yeah. out on our kitchen island because I didn't want kids opening the fridge and grabbing stuff that they maybe shouldn't have right. when there's really nutritious, healthy food that's actually good for waking up your brain and you, you still are going to eat a good dinner. But kids need lots of snacks. And then we'd sit down at dinner and I would watch friends of his just crush two pork chops, three servings of vegetables, <laughs> said all the stuff. And I would look at this kid and it took me a second to realize I'm looking at a, at a, a child who probably comes from a food compromised home. I just remember being so shook by that. It's all around us. Yeah. It's all around, but there's so much stigma attached with hunger that the, the working hungry, the working poor are all around us. The working underserved are all around us. They, they, they are our colleagues, our family members, our friends. So the awareness education piece, sending that email may be even more important than the $10 that you might send. Send the email now, send the $10 tomorrow. How's that? I love it. It's great. Um, so the company I work for, The Big No, we focus on well-being, but... Beyond keeping us fed, in what other ways can we use food in this moment as a tool to sort of feed our souls and boost our well-being? Number one, cooking is a yoga. When you're doing it, you're not thinking of other things. It's also a skill set that impacts other people's well-being. Make a really great soup and don't tell anyone. And then heat it up and put it in a mug. And the next person that walks into your kitchen, family member, whatever, just put it in their hand. Just look at them. You can't help but smile or make someone's day if you put a mug of soup <laughs> in someone's hand. Sharing food with other people is 
one of the best ways that we can communicate as well. And we need more communication in our world. I'm actually having a Zoom meeting dinner tonight with some friends so that we can have conversation and talk to other people. I know education is really important to you. Do you think right now with social distancing, is a good time for people to hone their cooking skills? I'm a big advocate of the concept of remaining teachable. We have lost over the last couple hundred years a huge chunk of our skill set. I've spent a lot of time with tribal people all around the world. The skill set in the tribal world is massive. Every single one of those tribal members is a, a doctor, a lawyer, a diplomat, a warrior, an architect, a pharmacist, a veterinarian. Everyone has every skill set because that's all they do in practice all the time. We've lost that. We've become specialists. I'm not telling everybody to grab a gun and go out and shoot a squirrel in the park. What I'm saying is the more you can learn to cook, and share food, the better off our, our society will be. If we learn to cook healthy, nutritious food for each other, we're healing our system. One of the things I see changing is like more people are eating and cooking together at home than ever before, maybe in 50 years, by necessity. So maybe people are gonna see, you know something? It's worth it to cook and be together. And it's worth it to make sure that other people who can't afford to cook and be together are given enough in our society to cook and be together. With that in mind, what we like to do is leave listeners with some actionable things that they can do right when they're done listening. What is one meal or one food-related thing that we, you think most people would have the ingredients for on hand that is relatively easy to make that we should try making today? If I were to look in my pantry right now, where could I start? Well, I, I mean, we've done enough talking about it, so let's just lean into soup. I'm a big proponent of vegetable bin clean-out soup. I'm a big proponent of blended salad soup. Neither one of those things is really a recipe. They're about techniques, and let me describe both of them to you. If you take those last two onions, the three limp carrots, the two pieces of celery, that half a red pepper in a bag, the half bag of frozen peas in your uh, freezer, et cetera, et cetera, and a can of chopped tomatoes. You, you start to sweat them in some olive oil with maybe a, an old clove of garlic that has a green little sprout coming out of it and the bottom quarter inch of oregano and basil that look a little dry and maybe don't have a lot of flavor. You just keep cooking those in olive oil. Uh, and then you add, if you have broth or stock, or uh, maybe you just add water and then simmer it and then put a handful of orzo or some small macaroni or something in there. And you would have a minestrone soup minus mm -hmm. the beans. Maybe you have a can of beans to put in there at the end because they just need to be heated through. That's a very simple vegetable soup. Most frequently what I do is I take the last of the carrots and the celery and the onions and I saute them and I add a little bit of broth and I add a little bit of cream and then I just put it in the blender and that's soup for two with a salad. <laughs> Great. Nearing the end here, but what would you recommend to people and families looking to connect a little bit more during these times? What's one word of advice you could give? People don't pick up the phone enough. We text, we email, we think that takes care of it. The other thing that I would recommend, a, an old girlfriend of mine used to drive me crazy. We'd get in a cab and she would start asking real questions and having real conversation with the cab driver. And I was like, why aren't we having conversation? You know, and she was just insatiable for knowledge and connection with human beings. Her 
lesson to me that I've taken these 35 years later, actually talk to other people, asking them how their day's going, really connecting with other people, I think can be the, the most important thing that we do. And I am grateful for the opportunity to connect with you. It's been a pleasure. Before we go, how might the people out there see you, listen to you, and connect with you? MSNBC, What's Eating America. Obviously, I'm a big part of a lot of social justice causes, but if you want to, I mean, everything that I do is at andrewzimmern.com. Twitter, I'm at Andrew Zimmern. Instagram, I'm at Chef AZ. I think Facebook, I'm Andrew Zibbern. I try to put everything that I'm involved in out there. So follow me, go to the website and sign up for our newsletter. Follow me on social and you'll be exposed to everything I'm involved in. Thanks, Andrew, for taking the time to chat with us today and share your wisdom. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. If you want to learn more from Andrew, Being by the Big No offers an online course taught by him. It's really cool. It's like cooking school with Andrew. In his course, he helps you learn how to be more efficient in the kitchen. He teaches you some of the major cooking techniques, and he shares some of his favorite recipes. I encourage you all to check it out. And right now, while we're all stuck inside, this is the perfect time to give it a try. Look, I know what we all want. We want to just get back to normal. But we have to accept that normal? That's a thing of the past. And while it's hard to hear, if we really think about it, for a lot of us, normal wasn't working in the first place. Normal was making us sick, it was making us tired, and it was making us bored. We can do better than that. We can go beyond normal. Beyond Normal is a production of The Big No. You can learn more about The Big No and all we do to help people build the skills of well-being by going to thebigno.com. That's the big K-N-O-W.com. I'd like to thank Jeff for submitting his recording that I used off the top today. If any of you would like to share your own personal reflections or musings or experiences about life right now, use any audio recording device you want and email your submissions to beyondnormal at thebigno.com. We'd love to share more of your stories. Much love to the folks who make this podcast happen. Beyond Normal is produced by me and Tom Godfrey. Assistant producer is TMR. The show is edited by Damon Kaler, and our music is provided by PremiumBeat.com. I'm Nate Matson. Goodbye.